We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC Heart and Vascular Institute. With experience, cutting-edge technology, and a collaborative approach, you'll receive the most advanced treatment. More at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Our guests today come from the YWCA in York. We have Melissa Plotkin, who is the Chief Services Officer at the YWCA York, along with Crystal Perry, who is the Community Education Director, and Ashlyn Drummond, who is the Anti-Human Trafficking Advocacy Coordinator, here joining us today on The Spark. Ladies, hello. 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 Glad you can join us today. So um, first question here. Uh, can you share some specific initiatives or programs that the YWCA York has implemented to help those affected by domestic violence and sexual assault? Of course. So um, we have quite a number of programs um, in our victim services department, um, all of which I think are um, special and um, they include everything from a 24-hour hotline to hospital accompaniment for a victim after a crime, um, such as sexual or domestic violence. Um, safety planning we do. We provide trauma counseling, emergency shelter for 30 days. We have transitional housing, uh, which usually is about a year. And then we have legal advocacy and representation, court accompaniment. Um, those are service-related, but we also provide uh, community outreach and, and education. Um, all of those are encompassed in our victim services department. Um, and more specifically, uh, our anti-human trafficking work is a part of that, uh, which we've been doing for um, about, well, a little over 10 years. And I would say that's probably one of, uh, of our specific initiatives that addresses something that's obviously, um, it's not a narrow, narrowly defined, but it is something that has, uh, is more unique that um, a, a number of agencies, victim service agencies um, don't necessarily provide. So we have staff that are designated to address those issues um, out in the community um, and then in terms of um, case management, we also, for human trafficking victims, we also do provide that service. And um, how have you uh, seen your uh, victim services expand, um, especially with human trafficking? Uh, because I know for myself, um, being in the news industry um just just over the the past half decade over the past five years uh we've we've been seeing more of of an interest um more more stories coming out and more stories being told so how have you uh seen uh, your victim services uh with uh human trafficking expand well i'm going to start and i'm going to like crystal and ashlyn take over but really um about 10 years ago when i worked here uh, and coordinated the human trafficking task force 
there were very few people who knew about it, but let alone um, understood really what it was. Mm. And, and it has developed further. I mean, uh, there's much more of an awareness here in our community. Um, but those, I think service, the services that we provide have become further developed because working with someone who's been uh, victimized through human trafficking, um, I, I think it, is a much deep, it, it extends and is much deeper. Um, and so in understanding the victimization and understanding someone um, in, in their healing process um, can be much more involved than I think with sexual or domestic violence alone. So Crystal, Ashlyn, I don't know if you want to add to that. So some of the ways that we've really um, tackled the epidemic that we're seeing is within our education. Um, we have a lot of outreach. We have a lot of training opportunities, uh, multiple trainings that people can choose from, whether you're law enforcement or if you're medical, if you're a teacher, and if you're just a community member wanting to learn more. Um, another thing we do is really target at-risk youth. We go into different places and have conversations with them, education, uh, for the sole reason that we do know that they'll be an adult at some point and their youth services will end. So in the case that as an adult, if they become a victim, they know somewhere they can turn to, they already are familiar with the program and possibly even you know, have a face that they can still come to that they've already met. Um, other than that, the thing that really sets us apart, like Melissa was saying, is our HT case manager. Uh, that one, that person is not just sitting in an office and having everybody come to them. They can actually go out into the community and work with people. So if you're in mm. a program, um, say substance abuse or something else, and you have been a victim, they can start working with you while you're still completing another program or, you know, just meet you where you are and the needs you have. Um, Ashley, Ashlyn recently signed on with us and she's been doing a lot of good work. Um, one of the things her team is doing is hotspot mapping. So if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Say hotspot mapping is really just us going out into the community and being with the community members and asking them to take surveys in areas that they feel safe and areas that they don't feel safe and all of that data we are compiling. And it is just going to give us a lot of information for future organizations to use and to really target efforts for human trafficking and domestic violence and sexual assault. It's just evidence-based information. And um, uh, what kind of uh, uh, challenges have you faced so far with um, hotspot map mapping? The biggest one we didn't think about, the very first population we targeted was the uh, homeless, homeless population. And one of the questions we asked is the zip code that you live in. Mm. We didn't realize till a little bit in when we noticed that almost every single one of them had given us the exact same zip code, that it was the spot where they received their mail. So an organization actually gives them like a P.O. box type deal. So that was their very first thing. It was like, oh, wow, this looks like it's a really bad zip code, mm -hmm. but it's not. So we had to alter that to really ask them the specific question of, what area do you come from or what zip code or something like that more relevant to what they're actually talking about versus where they currently are at that moment taking the survey. So if a community member uh, wanted to uh, assist, help out, be a part of volunteer uh, with with your uh, vic victim services, how would they reach out? Who would they reach out to to be a part of it? 
You can call our main number, 717-845-2631. We hold advocate trainings throughout the year, um, and most of them are during the day, and um, we are actually planning, uh, we are working on scheduling an evening slash Saturday training so that we can uh, work with individuals who work during the day. Um, The training itself is approved by our state coalitions, the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence and the Pennsylvania Coalition to Advance Respect, um, or what we call PCADV and PCAR. Um, Both organizations sign off on um, the almost 80, 70 to 80 hour training that we do. Um, It is extensive. Oftentimes people wonder why. But then when they go through the training, they completely understand why, because it is a lot of information. Um, When you're working with an individual, it's not just a matter of, so tell me what happened. Uh, You know, and we we teach individuals um, how to interact with other people who've been victimized. Um, You know, active listening, which seems like an easy thing, isn't always the easiest to do. We prepare them to have conversations, whether it's on the hotline or face-to-face, whether it's in a hospital or even out in a community setting. If they're, let's say, helping one of our community education staff table at a health fair, Um, those are opportunities. um, Again, it seems like a lot, but in the end, um, those individuals that are trained hold confidentiality, which is important. Um, If there are victim service organizations all throughout the state, um, if they have used the PCAR and the PCADV training, then they have confidentiality, which is, doesn't seem like a lot, but it is, it it is critical. Um, When someone's sharing their story with you, it means I can't share it with anyone else unless there may be a case where um, in a mandated reporter situation where we have to, but um, really most of the time it is a matter of you can tell me anything and everything. Um, and that's, uh, you know, when I can say there's I have strict confidentiality, I think it will go a long way for that individual, especially in their healing process. And and for, and for the community, uh, what what role does community education play in the YWCA's York mission to prevent and respond to violent crimes? I'll answer, and then I'll, I will turn it over to the team. But <laughs> I think it's a critical role in the work that we do. Um, because it is education is so very important. Having those conversations, participating and, and running trainings, um, being able to go out into the workplace um, and you know in other places to help people you know and talk about what victimization is, what it looks like, how you can help someone who maybe have been, been victimized. Um, helping you know, I think it's forming relationships. And those relationships um, where information is exchanged can then take, um, it can take really take that form of um, providing assistance for others. So it's, it's the gift that keeps giving, I think, in terms of education and just acknowledging and confirming uh, the importance of empowering women and ending racism in our community um, 
wrapping that all into our victim services work is is what really is vital uh, to understanding um, er anyone in our community because let's face it I mean we've as a community and as a country have survived quite a bit of trauma through COVID and I know COVID is just one thing but uh, people don't necessarily talk about trauma that yeah. often. And so um, when somebody like Crystal or like Ashlyn or anyone else in our team can talk to them and say, you're not alone, it resonates with them. So that education, I think, is is vital. So I'll turn it over to Crystal. So community, community education is a huge part of victim services. It starts with our prevention educators who are in schools and teaching about sexual assault, domestic violence, human trafficking, healthy relationships, depending on the age group. And this is really that piece that talk to them before they ever become a victim. Teach them how to spot certain things. Teach them how to maybe talk to a friend if they need to or a trusted adult. Um, then you have, you know, our outreach specialists and our trainers, and they're really working, like I said in the last segment, with community members and other professionals that could interact with someone who may or may not be a victim or a survivor. And just doing that whole wraparound piece, we offer trainings like bystander intervention. So, hey, what if you do see, say, see something? What do you do? Do you intervene? Those types of things. Um, and then to our direct services, as far as case management and all of that, it's really a wraparound service. You're getting it from, like I said, from the beginning to the very end, if you're a victim or if you're a survivor. How does the YWCA York tailor its services to meet the diverse needs of different victims and survivors? A lot of that, I, I believe the training, the cultural competency pieces baked into that training that I was talking about that our volunteers go through. Mm. Um, understanding um, that you never know who you're going to, you know, for instance, if it's a hospital accompaniment and we get called, you don't know who, what that person, what they look like. You don't know their name. It, you, you're walking into somebody brand new. So I think in that respect, being prepared to treat that individual and anyone that might be with them with respect and understanding that, um, you know, decisions that people make won't necessarily be the same as yours. Uh, we work a lot with our volunteers and staff to help them understand that, um, you know, where we've come from isn't necessarily the same as someone that we're going to be meeting up with. And, you know, when it comes to them making decisions, setting goals, that really that is something that um, might be better for them, not necessarily whether we agree or not. I think it's important to show that individual um, respect and give them empathy um, and help that help guide them to the next step in, in where they're going. And, and uh, how, how have you all um, adapted your, your approach um, in the face of the changing societal attitudes and norms surrounding violence and abuse? I would say we've been very in tune, um, especially our state agencies have have worked with us because we have ongoing, you know, I know Crystal has um, a group of educators that she meets, you know, that they have across the state that have, they have monthly calls. I have monthly calls with directors. So we share information on things that might be news, things that might be coming um, up that maybe that we haven't seen before. But I would say 
because of the because of that ongoing communication um, from kind of from the top down in terms of the state to the local level, as well as within organizations and within programs, because not all victim service organizations are in YWCA's. There are a lot of organizations that are stand, uh, self-standing. So um, we try to share. Um, and then honestly, our the, the people that develop the curriculum for the training um, then bake that into the training. Or um, if it's something in, in addition to, then we they do uh, webinars, they do trainings. Um, we have state conferences. So there are opportunities um, to learn more skills and, and connect with other organizations that may have different approaches to, uh, to working with victims. And uh, you mentioned uh, that Crystal has a group of educators. Uh, sounds like a uh, education Avengers. Uh, so Crystal, could you uh, uh, go into more, more detail uh, about these group of educators that you, uh, that you uh, interact with? So when I started here four years ago, I actually started in Ashland's position. So I have a huge background in human tra- anti-human trafficking work. And just like Melissa said about with the state level and the local level, when you're dealing with human trafficking, you also have to deal at the federal level, state to state, um, homeland security, uh, all kinds of different people. So there is a regional group of people that is like Maryland, D.C., Virginia, Pennsylvania, Delaware, West Virginia, um, I might be missing two or three states, but really um, staying connected to everybody around you so that if a victim does through, move through your state or your county, that you have that contact person that you can reach out to. And it, it happens often. We recently had someone reach out from the Philly area for a, a young child that had been missing and they thought they were being brought through York and down into Maryland. And so I got the call and then I called the people in Maryland and it wasn't maybe two weeks and they actually identified the young person and was able, you know, to do that recovery process. So it's a whole bunch of organizations that work together to make these types of things happen. Um, Is there uh, any uh, current uh, current legislative advocacy uh, efforts uh, that the YWCA uh, York is involved in uh, to enhance these uh, protections for victims? A lot of the advocacy itself um, is done more at a state level. Um, at times we are, you know, we are asked questions. Um, typically our CEO, Kim Bracey, will um, work with um, the the region as well as the state in terms of the YW, um, in terms of, um, you know, having legislator calls or or having meetings, things like that. We don't necessarily tend to, um, at our level, necessarily advocate for legislation. I believe there is, there are always always legislative efforts going um, to address human trafficking awareness as well as services. I know uh, we've seen in victim services across the state, we've seen a decline in Funding that is coming down to us. So we're always advocating, um, you know, meaning that we are, you know, having conversations with people. It's contact your legislator because this is these services are so very vital in our communities. So um, and and asking our legislators to support those, um, again, with community 
members calling in and um, sharing that information. And uh, have have you all um, um, engaged with local law enforcement um, to, to, to coordinate responses to cases of domestic violence and or sexual assault? I wouldn't necessarily say we coordinate with law enforcement um, in that respect. I know there's coordination with law enforcement with human trafficking, uh, but with sexual violence and domestic violence, there is obviously an opportunity to coordinate in terms of service providing or information about services, um, information about protection from abuse orders. There's um, always that opportunity for them uh, and to work with them, to share that information with them, uh, to make sure that they're giving the right information um, and when op- when available, certainly providing the training to, uh, to them to ensure for the appropriate responses to, to victims and their family members. You all are doing amazing work. It was an honor to interview you uh, here on The Spark. Uh, Melissa, Crystal, Ashlyn, thank you for joining us on The Spark today. Thank you for having us.